Amen. Amen. I'm really glad about this morning. Uh, for those who are new to our church, you're going to hear God's Word preached and shared here this morning from someone uh, that is really uh, a special friend to me. He's uh, been with me almost here from the very beginning uh, when we came back here in August of 2000. Uh, Pastor Rob Russo and his wife, Chris, came, I think, right around October. And uh, just a couple months after we got here, got a chance to meet him and went and visited him and his wife at his home and uh, just had a great time, great connection. I knew that God's hand was on his life. There was a calling on his life, and uh, uh, he has been a blessing here in our church uh, and just served faithfully um, uh, the church. I mean, people, our youth group, just in a number of different areas, and uh, he was on our staff part-time, and then he was on our staff full-time, then back on our staff part-time, and during that time when he was part-time, he was, he was teaching a school uh, and uh, one of the greatest teachers, I, I mean, my kids have sat under him and, uh, and said, by far, our favorite teacher that we've ever had and had tremendous influence on my kids in the classroom and highly sought after by principals here in uh, Citrus County and uh, a gift to the body. And, uh, and then uh, almost about a year ago, uh, he got a phone call and uh, church here in Citrus County, Reflections, um, there, was, there was a vacancy, and I was called by their board and, and, uh, and said, what do you think of uh, this guy? And, I, and, uh, and so I got a chance to spend about a half an hour with them on the phone, the board, and uh, I said, he is a gift uh, to the body. I think you'll really like him. I think he'll be a blessing to your church. And so while they were looking for a pastor in the interim, they saw what they had before them. And they recognize that he is a gift. He is a wonderful pastor and a gift to the body of Christ. And he's serving over there, just doing a phenomenal job over there in Citrus Springs. So proud of him and his family. But this morning, uh, we asked him and if he could come here and share here this morning. He wants to share some thoughts with you here today. So let's get Pastor Rob, affectionately known as Pastor Rob, a warm uh, uh, applause here this morning. I, was, uh, I grew up Catholic, and so I like to sit down and get back up, if that's okay with you. Amen. Some things never, never leave you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your presence in this place, the awesome worship that went up to you, Father, both with our voices singing and the offering that was presented to you, God, the hearts, Father, just worshiping you and praising you, God, and giving you all the glory that you deserve in this place today. Father, we pray today, Lord God, that you would speak to us, that we, Father, would open our hearts. God, to receive your word in the deep recesses and soil of our hearts, that it may grow and produce a harvest, Father, that people may be saved, lives changed, and you glorified in the name of Jesus, we pray. If you believe that, say amen. 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 You may be seated. Hallelujah. It's so good to be home. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's, uh, It's really so good to be with you today and to be home. This will always be my home. Uh, Recently, uh, I was with a pastor. I can't even remember where we were, but um, we were talking, and, and he, he went to say, you know, I'm his, and then he stopped and said, former pastor, and I said, no, 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 you, you're still my pastor. 
And uh, you'll always be my pastor. And uh, try not to get too emotional right away, but uh, one of the reasons that I'm here today is I wanted the opportunity to come back and to publicly declare what a great pastor, Pastor Mike and Pastor June, what they, what they were to us and our family. We never had that opportunity um, just because of the way circumstances uh, went down. We got a call. We left like the next day to go on vacation in New York, and, and we got back. And when we got back the following Sunday, we started pastoring. And um, so we, we were in term position, and they asked us to stay, and it's always bothered me in this last year that we never got to come say goodbye, uh, and to, to honor Pastor Mike and Pastor June and, you know, the, the church and the staff, and to publicly declare what great pastors they, uh, I can't even look here right now, I'm getting too emotional, I'm sorry, <laughs> that, uh, that they were to us. Uh, they were great shepherds to us during the 15 years that we were here. They were so encouraging um, in so many ways. And, and, and I, about 12, 13 years in, the Lord kind of opened my eyes and real, revealed to me one of the reasons that he called us to this church is that he knew that Pastor Mike would allow us to grow up in our gifts in this place. So many people are insecure and they won't give you know, younger guys and people opportunities. And, and then you know, when we would make mistakes, I made a couple mistakes at times. You know, he didn't say, that's it, you know, never again. You know, he, just was, he was like a father. He was encouraging and helping us the whole way. Uh, the day that we first came to this church, he was the first person we met in the parking lot. I thought he was the greeter. You know, I, I did. I thought, what a nice guy they have out here greeting. And uh, he said, oh, this looks like a nice little family. To give you an idea, Caleb and Hannah were not yet two years. They, they just turned two years old. So they, they weren't even talking really yet, and they were walking hand in hand, and then uh, my wife and I, and he said, good morning, and then when he stood up to preach, I was like, oh, that was the, that was the pastor that was out there. How nice that the pastor was out there greeting everyone. And, uh, you know, I had some questions about the church. It was very different then, and the next night he showed up at our house um, with cookies, praise the Lord, and uh, he, and I said, oh, you know, at first I was like, who is this? And then, you know, I said, because we didn't know a single person in Florida uh, we'd come here on, on faith, and then somebody was knocking at the door, so we wonder who the heck could this be? And then it was Pastor in, in June with uh, with some cookies, and uh, they stayed uh, they stayed like three hours. They had other people they were supposed to see, but I I kept them there all night. And uh, he answered all my questions, and I and I felt so good. Um, when we'd walked into this church, we'd visited several churches. When we walked into this church for the first time, I felt the presence of God, and I was like, oh. There you are. And I knew this is where I was supposed to be, you know. And, uh, and we stayed. We stayed 15 years. Um, and we waited till the Lord opened the door for us to leave. And that's what you do. Can you say amen? amen? You have to, this isn't part of my message, but you have to let God open doors for you. Sometimes we want to push open doors ourselves. Um, and that's a bad idea because you're going to intrude into areas that you're not ready for. And uh, even the board, when they called me for the new church I'm at and asked me, um, you know, to come and, and fill this role. And it's interesting how the whole thing happened. Being faithful to stay in education uh, was what opened the door to the church because I taught uh, these two girls, sisters, and it, their father was one of the board members, and that's where the relationship started, was through the school system. And uh, when they called and asked me, I said, I will not come unless you guys drill my pastor and you ask him every possible question, and I want him to tell you that he thinks I'm ready. And if he does not tell you that I'm not ready, I'm not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord that he gave us that vote of confidence. 
Um, a lot of people don't know this. You need to know that behind the scenes, this church has helped sustain us in the last year that I've been over at Reflections. Pastor Otis has come over and helped uh, kick off uh, prayer meetings with us and kick off our, our Friday night youth uh, ministries. Um, Carl has, uh, Pastor Carl has met with our children's people and we've adopted the same curriculum. He taught them all how to do that. Luke has done so many things that I can't even tell you about all the systems and things that he's done in place and the relationship that we have with this church. And uh, it's not you guys and then us. It's we're all together and it's been awesome. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, I think a great example of what's supposed to happen in the, in the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you the last couple of years that I was here, I was getting antsy because I really, you have to understand when you're like me, every Sunday you want to preach. There were times the pastor will tell you, I walked up to him during worship and I was like, can I just preach today? <laughs> You know, and so it's hard to sit 50 weeks a year, you know, and uh, it, when, when you want to preach, when you just want to preach, 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 and uh, praise the Lord for the classroom because I had a captive audience. Um, you know, those kids, they couldn't go anywhere, so I would practice on them. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but uh, the, so the last couple of years, but sometimes you get antsy, you start to push open doors yourself, but we waited on the Lord for God to open the door for us. And then what happened was when we went out, we went out with blessing and we went out with a relationship and we went out with covenant and that has helped sustain us, um, through, uh, the whirlwind that we've been through since we went, uh, went over there to, uh, Reflections Church. Um, we've been very blessed over there. God's doing, uh, a wonderful work and, um, we learned, uh, so many things here about how to do what we're doing now, and it was shocking to me when I got over there. During my time that I was here the 15 years, um, I served uh, at one season in between children's pastors. I was the children's pastor. Uh, I was in youth ministry for 10 years. I was a board member um, for three or four years. I was an associate pastor, uh, part-time, full-time, part-time. I was the head over the ushering ministry, the greeting ministry, the book, the, the book ministry, the tape ministry. I led youth group and uh, adult uh, mission teams overseas and, uh, you know, domestic um, mission trips. I did, uh, I was the head over the prayer ministry. Uh, I did uh, small groups. I was head over small groups over discipleship. Um, I flipped burgers. I cleaned floors. And, you know, I, I, it was, um, it's just unbelievable. And then when I got over there, all of a sudden, I started to realize that God had kind of given me this kind of wealth of knowledge through a variety of experiences that I had that when, when issues came up, I was like, oh, well, this is how we did it here. And, this, and, and, I wasn't, and I never even realized that God was doing that during my time that I was here. It was just kind of meeting any need. I remember being in youth ministry and so ingrained and entrenched in there and just loving it so much. And then pastor asked me to step away into adult discipleship. And, you know, and I was like, no, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not leaving youth, man. We're, I love it, you know. And then uh, I remember I was driving to, to the airport to pick somebody up, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, are, are you really going to tell your pastor no? And I was like, no. <laughs> so I called him up and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that, you know. And, uh, but uh, we've been trained, praise the Lord. We've been trained by uh, real shepherds, not hirelings but people that, that loved us, loved our family. Anytime I ever needed them, they prayed for us. Anytime I, I needed a, a correction, he, he gave it to me. I remember one, going through one of the most difficult times in my life and 
And pastor said to me, well, are you counting it all joy? And I looked at him, I said, I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> to, be, to be totally honest with you, you know? And <laughs> felt like knocking him out right at that moment. It's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, but he was right. But he helped us. You know, we've been to mission trips together. We've been overseas. We've just had so many experiences. And, uh, you know, I wanted to say thank you. I, everybody needs to know that. Everybody needs to know that we could not be doing what we're doing right now if pastors had not been such good pastors to us. God called us out of New York to sell our house and, you know, quit our jobs and to come here to sit under this ministry for uh, 15 years so that God could use us for the next thing in our, in our lives. And, uh, and I, I just want you to know how thankful and how grateful I am for everything you've done. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Can you guys please give this man a round of applause because he deserves it. Thank you, my friend. So uh, it's good to be home, though. Amen? This will always be home. Uh, the relationship will just continue to grow uh, between the, the two churches, and we hope that you know, it will encompass all the churches in the county because that's God's plan. Amen? So, but we're really excited. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to the book of 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Can you all hear me? Oh, by the way, my wife... Uh, why isn't she here? She got scheduled to serve in the nursery this morning. And uh, I said, look, we can switch it around. And you, if, those of you that know Chris, you know she would never do that. If she was scheduled to serve, she would not want somebody else to serve in her place. So hello from Chris. Can I tell her you said hello? Okay. <laughs> so she served in the nursery. Isn't that nice? But she wanted to say hello to everybody. Um, I have my readers on. Well, Pastor kind of shared a little bit about uh, kind of what happened with us and how we, we uh, ended up over there about a year ago. And uh, so I appreciate you doing that, that opening. I was going to share that, but now I don't have to. So thank you. We can get right into the word. Uh, I wanted to come and uh, thank Pastor Mike and kind of give you guys an update on what's going on with us. And I wanted you to know about how the staff is has helped us so much, and uh, what a blessing it's been. And then also, you know, Pastor said, "Do you have a word for us?" And you know, and I said, "I'm absolutely going to seek God." Um, what I do when I uh, when I'm preaching or teaching is I just ask the Holy Spirit all week, "What what do you want to say?" Y'all hearing me? By the way, Herb, I just want to thank you, brother, too, man. This guy's been such a father to me during the years that I've been here. I just thank you so much for your support and your guidance, man. You're just awesome. So, so many people, you know. I just really appreciate it. Uh, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want to say to us? Because sometimes we, especially as ministers, we can think in the natural that we see the agenda that needs to take place. You know, we look at a situation and say, all right, this is what I need to preach on. And, but the Holy Spirit knows what's going on inside people's hearts. And often, you know, you'll speak on something that in the natural doesn't make any sense to you at all, but you begin to speak on it and you find that it's 100% hitting home with, with a, a majority of the people that are sitting there because God knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. Can you say amen? Yeah. Uh, I love the, the songs that y'all sang today. and uh, They were just so good. And the, the one about, um, you know, coming for the bride and all that. You know, God, it's been this, this season where God's renewing in my life 
the reality of the grace of the cross, um, that the blood, you know, washes us completely free from every sin and, uh, and makes us pure white, just the grace of God. And so there's just that, that wonderful, awesome um, uh, presence of God and, and reality in our lives. And then here's the thing, and closeness. God is holy, and, and we could not um, come near him. And so he came down and died in our place so that we could come near him. Isn't that awesome? And here's what we do. The devil comes and he beats us up and makes us think, I have this area in, in my life, and so I can't come near God, and that's not true. Because everything that needed to be done was done so that you could come near. That's, that's what the cross was all about, was it so, he, so you could come near him. And so we got people devoting their entire lives to trying to, you know, do everything perfectly so that they could come into fellowship with God. And God is like, you know, you could spend eternity trying to do everything perfect, and it will never be enough. That's why the cross. But because the cross, you, you don't have to spend all your time doing that. You just need to boldly come. That's what grace is. Can you say amen? amen. And so recognize that's how close the Holy Spirit is to us and wants to be with us and, and, and desires intimacy with us. And he, so he knows. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows our fears, our dreams, our hopes, our struggles, our prides, our accomplishments. All the, He sees us in, the, in our worst, our best, whatever, and he just desires to be with us. Isn't that awesome? So we ask the Holy Spirit, what do we need? Speak to us. Recently, I had a chance to uh, preach at um, a house church in uh, Illinois. And uh, I remember they spent a real long time in worship. And I had this, this message all planned. And then during worship, they, uh, they worshiped so long and they kept saying, Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Say what you want to say. And uh, my whole message completely changed. I just didn't, I didn't feel any heat on what I had planned. And then, uh, you know, and I started to feel like, man, the Holy Spirit impressing something completely different on me because the hearts of the people were, Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Sometimes people are like, God, we don't want to hear what you want to say. It's very difficult to preach in that environment. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like trying to uh, feed a kid um, peas and stuff. <laughs> I remember when Caleb, my oldest, was little, he was a picky eater. The only thing he would eat when he was like a year old was uh, uh, Legos. Or no, not Legos, Egos. Legos, Egos, Lego my ego, that's what. That was weird. Egos. It was the only thing he could eat, and I had to play airplane with him. You know, and then he would laugh, open his mouth, and shove it in there. But if it was like vegetables, it was not coming in, you know. And sometimes we're like that with God. We're like, I do not want to hear what you want to say. And, and that, you know, but really, if you think about it from a wisdom standpoint, we want to hear what God has to say to us. Amen? So, so I've been praying and asking the Holy Spirit what to say. And so I have something here for you, for your church, uh, and individually, for your home, for your entire lives, for your children. Can you say amen? amen. Uh, how many have ever heard of Aristotle? Raise your hands like you were to order it. Aristotle, Plato, you know, all those guys. Socrates. 
Socrates. Aristotle argued there's three ways to persuade people. Um, pathos, which has to do with an emotional appeal. Um, logos, which means logic. And the third one is ethos. E-T-H-O-S, for those of you taking notes. E-T-H-O-S. Ethos. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. Ethos is closely connected to our word ethics. But here's the interesting thing. It has to do with an appeal based on character. But the word in our society has slightly changed from ethics to image. Some of you know where I'm going already. He argued the three ways to appeal are an emotional appeal, logical appeal, and an appeal based on character. That if John says that this happened, we know it happened because we know we can trust John because John always tells the truth. That's an ethos uh, argument. But the word is changing in our culture and today represents something more like image. Um, do you remember a few years back there was a wonderful uh, uh, sports athlete, really great, and um, you know, he was a spokesperson for many companies and he had this wonderful squeaky clean ethos image until they found out he was cheating on his wife in every city. And then immediately overnight, all those companies dumped him because now the ethos was tarnished. Are you with me? But prior to that, you had a false ethos, but it was an image. And in our society, we're really good at creating an image. And what's happening is, because I see it with young people, is the image and the effort to create the image has become more important than the effort to create something that's genuine. And it's invaded our churches. And it's invaded our home. Where do you think these kids are learning this? You know what I mean? We like, we like to blame them. They, you know, do you remember the Harry Chapman song, you know, I want to be like you, Dad, right? A child arrived. Just Remember that song? And the, the father laments at the end that, you know, he'd grown up just like me. They look at you. These kids who take 99 pictures of themselves looking for one that makes them look perfect. And I have to tell them that's not what you look like. In every picture they take, their lips grow bigger. And they're looking for that one picture that they can put out there like, look at me, I look spectacular. No, it's the other 98, that's what you really look like. So this social media has created this environment with young people where they spend the majority of their energy creating a false ethos. Are you hearing me? So that everyone would look and think, this is who you really are. And here's the scary part with young people. They don't know the difference. They think the image is who they really are. Are you guys hearing me? Because they put all their energy, their effort, and their thought into creating the time, into creating this buffer zone that people would look and think, this is who I am. And then when you tell them that's not who they are, they don't understand that. Because they believe basically the lie. Because the false ethos has consumed them. Where image has become more important than uh, genuine. Who you are, you know you've heard this said, is who you are when no one's looking. It's quiet in here. (laughs) Who you are is who you are when no one's looking. 
And, and, and God sees who you really are. And that's who God really wants to touch and change. Our culture is invading our churches. Our church should be invading our culture. One more time. Our culture is invading our church. Our church should be invading the culture. We look at culture as how to do church. So here's a word of warning for churches. I've been preaching this everywhere. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Because the Holy Spirit said to me very clearly um, last fall, and I've been sharing this everywhere. He said, do you want to be a Saul church or a David church? Do you want, and, and let me ask you individually, do you want to be Saul or do you want to be David? First Samuel chapter 15, 1. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me. Actually, let me back up. Yeah. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Chapter 15, verse 1. Over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, the Amalekites, okay? Saul allowed these people, instead of punishing like the Lord uh, told him to do, he allowed uh, the people to go after the spoils, even though they were to be destroyed, of the victory, and, they, and he spared the life of the king. Now, the king of the Amalekites, often in the culture, here's what they would do. If you conquered a king, um, sometimes you would make him your servant because it made you feel like, you know, you were the man because this guy that used to rule a nation now is like getting your coffee for you. It's a pride thing. It's an ego thing. So they keep these kings around to serve them. So they kept the king alive, and then all the spoil, which was supposed to be destroyed, uh, they, they decided to keep the best, the best sheep, the best spoil, and all the rest for the people. And the Lord had given clear instructions to destroy the king and all the possessions of the Amalekites. Now, the key is, verse 2, it says, Thus said the Lord, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Egypt represents sin. This is why God was so displeased when the people in the desert want to go back to Egypt, back to their bondage and slavery. The parting of the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt and they go through the water and they come back is symbolic of baptism. Are you all with me? Symbolic of water baptism. And then they went out in the wilderness and there was a pillar of fire, okay, and a cloud, a glory cloud is symbolic of the baptism of the Holy Ghost that takes place. So all this stuff was written down and it was true, it literally happened, but it was symbolic of things that would take place in the future. So when Amalek, uh, the Amalekites, when they attack them coming up out of Egypt, they basically picture it this way. God sees it as they attacked him as they were coming up out of sin with the goal of putting them back in bondage. Can you say amen? Whatever tries to attack you as you come up out of Egypt, sin, God wants you to utterly destroy and not to sympathize with any residual sin or soulical ties to sin. Stuff tries to hang on in your life, doesn't it? People get so excited about God in the beginning. They're on fire for the Lord. Do you know, right here I have, well, there's a line right here. 
if this represents living for God and this represents living in the world and then this is how you try to live, you're going to be the most miserable person that there is. You just can't, you can't do that. God's jealous for your heart and he wants your whole heart. He wants 100%. And he, when, when, you, when you finally cross over and you realize that God is for you, all right, then you wonder why you ever, you get that, why did you ever flirt in, in, with, with the world, which is passing away, you understand? But when you still want the pleasures of sin, and then you still want to try to serve God, you're going to be miserable because you're going to feel convicted every time you come near God. God doesn't want you in sin because he wants you free, because he doesn't want you to experience the, the grievous latter ends of sin. You know, I often tell the students, you're free to choose uh, what you want to do, but you're not free to choose the consequences. Two types of pain in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Um, the pain of discipline, you're, you're getting ready for the Olympics. Not, not a sumo wrestler, but <laughs> let's say a runner. And the guy comes into work with the donuts, you know, open. Hey, you want a Boston cream? You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right? But you're not going to run in the Olympics if, if your diet is Boston cream donuts. You understand? So there's a little bit of pain, and I'm disciplining myself because I'm living for this vision that's bigger than the moment. You understand? This is why the Bible says my people perish for lack of vision. Because if, there's, if you have no vision, then you live in the moment. Because whatever feels good, you just go ahead and do it. But if you actually have vision in your life, it causes you to discipline yourself in the moment when you're tempted to do things that you shouldn't do. But if you have no vision in your life, what happens is you just want to feel, feel whatever you're feeling in the moment and do it. And so many people, this is how they live their life. That, 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 now, that leads to the pain of regret. I mean, you become an alcoholic, it might cost you your liver. It might cost you your family. Your wife, your kids. It might cost you, your, you know, whatever. It might cost you your reputation. It might cost you your job. It might cost you your health, your peace. You might end up alone. You might end up broke. You know, God doesn't want you to do those things. The Bible said that Moses, that rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin chose to suffer the reproach of Christ because he was living for something bigger. If you really think about this from the a standpoint of wisdom, it makes no sense to try to live to please the flesh here because this life is like this and then there's eternity. And everything you do now affects eternity. The other thing is, is how wonderful it is to walk with God and experience the joys and pleasures and reap the consequences of good decisions. Marriages that stay together. Kids that grow up uh, blessed and secure. You know, one of the things, uh, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And, um, you know, and I lived in the aftermath of that. And one of the things that I wanted to do growing up was make sure that, um, you know, that my kids didn't have to go through that. And uh, it's been such a joy. Um, and, you know, kids that come from families, that the families stay together and this and that. And the parents are good parents and they serve God and they're trying to love them and this and that. They don't sometimes fully understand what they have. And what a blessing that is. And how grateful and thankful because if, if your whole thing gets ripped apart, it's difficult. I often tell the kids in school that, you know, if things have been difficult on you because of these things, you can turn around. You can, you can become what you want when you grow up and change that cycle. So many people feel like the place that they come from defines their entire 
existence and it, and it doesn't. You have the deciding vote. You are free to decide what you want to do, but you're not free to choose the consequences. You make good decisions, it leads to good things. You know, if you have a Krispy Kreme donut diet, you know, you're going to get fat. You're going to become a, a diabetic. Yeah. You understand? Type 2 diabetes used to be adult onset diabetes. By the way, it's, a, it's an epidemic among our young people now. Did you know that? Before the 1980s, there's never even a case of a kid having type 2 diabetes. It's become an epidemic now because all the sugar in our food. I mean, it, it, all, all that is just a representation of our whole culture. We are undisciplined, sloppy people. And we're not free to choose the consequences. So Saul makes a decision here to keep the king alive, to let the people enjoy the spoil. And, uh, but he's not free to choose the consequences of his decisions. But he is free to make his own choice, whether or not he wants to obey God or not. So verse 27, jump to verse 27. Samuel comes and rebukes him for this. And he basically tells him, look, God gave you one thing to do. You know, you didn't deserve this position, but he gave it to you, and all you had to do was obey, and you didn't listen, and because you didn't listen, there are going to be consequences. I mean, you feel like you're talking to your kids sometimes, don't you? I mean, sometimes I'll be saying something to my kids, and I, and I feel like God's like up above me going, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You're like, if you would just listen to me, things would go well for you, and God's like, hello? Right? Hello? If you would just do what I say, you'd be fine. But you continue to do the things that you want to do and you end up in the situation that you're in. So Samuel sins. Now watch this. Verse 27, it said, in, or uh, Saul rather. And as Samuel turned away to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to them, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie or relent for he's not a man that he should relent. Verse 30, then Saul said, I have sinned yet honor me. Can you believe that's even in the Bible? Can I use a bad word in church? What a moron. I've sinned. Here's the prophet of the living God. I've sinned, yet honor me. Does this make any sense at all? I've sinned, yet I deserve honor. Think about the level of deception as human beings we walk in. I know people say it all the time, but the reality is, is the problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. Let's think back to uh, Nazi Germany. You had um, Nazis that were throwing Jewish babies into burning pits in Auschwitz. It was written about by Eliezer Wiesel in his uh, book, Night. He got off the train and he walked a certain distance and saw with his own eyes them throwing babies into burning pits. And here's what they actually believed, that they were helping out the human race by killing these babies. Because they had been taught in their schools that they're a subspecies of human being. And they learned the science of eugenics in their classroom that God is dead and evolution is true and you can speed up the evolutionary process if you eliminate undesirables. So this is not really a baby. This is a subspecies of human being and if we allow this baby to grow and breed with our perfect utopian Aryan race, it will screw up the whole process. So therefore, I'm helping out the human race by killing babies. Think about last week where an eight-year-old, seven-year-old was shot dead in the town square in the Middle East by ISIS in front of his parents because he said a swear word. 
So in their minds, it's worse that you said the swear word than we're about to kill a child. Don't tell me we are not susceptible to becoming deceived. Here's a guy who started walking with God and now has sinned and yet believes that he deserves to be honored. He's like, yeah, 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 I've sinned, yet honor me. I know I sinned, I know I did, I know I did something wrong, yeah, honor me. I know that I sinned, yet I deserve to be honored. This is the level of deception that comes in. Now what in his mind is honored? Honored before the people. Because his concern is not, yes, I'm a sinner. His concern is, what do people think of me? This has invaded our homes, our church, and our children, where they spend their energy creating an ethos that somebody would think they're something that they're not. And we look at the kids, and we're like, can you believe these kids today? Well, they're learning it somewhere. Our own insecurities we have reproduced in them. We must first repent as the older generation, the next generation, and all the rest before we look at them and say, I can't believe that you act this way. Can you say amen? Because they have learned that somewhere. Go back to the very first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam, God shows up and says, what did you do? And he's like, don't look at me. It was the woman that you gave me. See how he subtly tried to blame God? It was the woman that you gave me. She was the one that caused me to sin. So then Eve learns from Adam. So God turns to her and says, what did you do? And she learned from his example. And she goes, so don't look at me. It wasn't me. It was the devil made me do it. And then they have kids. And then you know the story. Then uh, uh, Cain, in the course of time, brings an offering. Basically, his leftovers to God. Where Abel brings the first fruits. So God is pleased with Abel. But he's not pleased with Cain's offering. So instead of Cain looking at himself and judging himself, Instead, he does the same thing. He begins to project on someone else. I'm looking bad because of you. And the same way that Adam was like, it's Eve, and Eve was like the devil. Now Cain, instead of taking personal responsibility for his own mistakes, instead he looks at his brother and he says, you're the one that's making me look bad because they learned the example. So these kids have learned somewhere that image is more important than who you really are. Pardon the passion, but I feel deeply, okay, how the Holy Spirit looks at this situation, and I've been teaching and preaching this everywhere that I go, because we need to first look in our homes, okay, we need to look in our homes. We need to make sure that we're being real. You got parents that have so much pride, they can't tell their little kids that they're wrong. I remember Caleb and Hank, you know, I have, I have patience issues. <laughs> What's funny? <laughs> I do. I've prayed for better patience. And you go into Walmart, they got 37 places to check out and four people working. Does this bother you like it bothers me? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? God gives me opportunities to be more patient, you know? But I remember when I was little, or when the kids were little, and you know, I, I, if I got upset or something, I snapped at the kids. You know, you have a five-year-old or a six-year-old and, and you're all worked up in the house. They think it's their, they caused this issue. You have, to go, you have to go and tell them, I was upset. I had something going on. This was a poor example of how to behave. I'm sorry, this is not your fault. It's my fault. One of the, one of the, one of the most terrible experiences of life is when you see your teenager starting to grow up and see your faults in them. And you're like, oh my gosh, you learned this somewhere. <laughs> and it was not from your mom. <laughs> 
Do you guys understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you find them yelling at, they're getting upset with them, you know, because they're doing the same thing that they've been watching you do all their life. And sometimes you got to come and you got to get a look, man. I, I've been a poor example in this area. Please don't, you know, I'm still, I'm, a, I'm an unrenewed, you know, I'm still working out my salvation, just like you need to work out your salvation. Please, please deal with this now, or there's going to be consequences, you understand? But so often we don't want to become real. We have such a hard time saying we're sorry. I, I, it has been my experience that people cannot admit that they're not perfect. I'm talking 98% of people, including Christians, have such a hard time saying, I'm sorry I was wrong or admitting that there's any possibility at all that they're at fault. And it goes back to our initial insecurity of the fall. And so what happens is, now our biggest concern in the flesh is that other people would think that we're something that we're not. And it's become an epidemic in our young people that they believe as long as you present the image, that's who you really are. The problem is, is the day they stand before God and don't know him, there's gonna be an issue. Think about that, mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle. How the Bible says in the end times that God would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of their children's back to the fathers. We have failed them. We have failed the next generation as, as a culture and as a church because we have let them believe that image is more important than character. So Saul says, I've sinned yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. And watch this. Look at this deception. And return me that I may worship the Lord your God. So here's what you, here's what you say. is like, honor me before the people as long as the people think I'm good. But yeah, yeah, I know I need to get right with God. I know that that's important. But what comes first? The people. If the people are happy, if the people are pleased, if the people think I have it all together then, you know, I'll get right with God later. But as long as we have a, a picture, an ethos of everything being all swag and all perfect and all together and present an image that we really are something on the outside, then we can work on the other thing later on. But the most important thing is that we look like we have it all together. Are you hearing me? And God said, he is yanking the anointing off of your life and giving it to somebody who's more concerned about presence than people. Can you say amen? There was a shepherd boy who worshiped God when no one was looking. Do you feel that? He worshiped God when no one was looking. He went after God when he was all alone. And even his own parents didn't even realize the significance of who he was. Because right after this event, Samuel gets sent to the town of Bethlehem. Did you know David came from Bethlehem, the same city Jesus was born in? That's why the Christmas cards say, today in the city of David, a Savior was born that was Christ the Lord. So he makes his way to Bethlehem because God speaks to him. He says, go to the house of Jesse. Now, if you were Jesse, it's either good news or bad news. When the prophet came, get your house in order. The prophet's coming. You're going to speak something to you. A lot of times it was bad news. It was a serious thing when God was sending somebody to come speak to you. Do you know, we've become so laissez-faire when it comes to that. You know, 
that God, somebody's going to actually come with the word of the Lord. And here's what happens is we can, we can sit and hear. Watch this now. Y'all with me? We could sit in here and go, man, that's a good message. And then right out to lunch, right back to the same old routine. And the Bible says, be careful how you hear. Here, somebody gets prayed up. Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Does nothing but devote themselves all week to God. Give me the word that I'm supposed to bring to the people. Sometimes fasting involved. Comes and brings the word. And then someone hears the word. The Bible says, be careful how you hear because even what you have will be taken away from you and to be given to someone else. The measure that you judge what God is saying to you is the measure that you receive back. And so if it's like, man, I, I'm ready to receive the word of the Lord, to steward over the word of the Lord. This thing today, you can say, man, that was so true, or this and that, and it can never change your life or never affect your life at all. If you don't stop and get along with God and say, God, what does this look like specifically for me in my life? Where have I set up this idol of me, an image over presence? So he goes to Jesse's house. Uh, Samuel sees the first son. Evidently, he was like a real tough-looking guy. He'd been spending time in the weight room. Beautiful-looking guy. Samuel sees him, and he goes, man, surely this is the anointed of the Lord. Look at this guy. He's Italian. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> See what I did there? But sadly, God rejected him. <laughs> Went on to the next one, all the rest. And everyone that passed before them, I just picture them getting smaller, right? <laughs> From the oldest to the youngest. And, uh, and, and uh, the prophet says, that, you know, none of these sons are them. Do you have any more sons? You got any, you got any sons? Oh, yeah, there's just David. There's just David. Who's out there tending the sheep and has a heart that when the devil, when, when the enemy tries to come with a lion and a bear and take one of the sheep that he's willing to risk his own life. And he's out there worshiping God all by himself and God looks and he says, this, this is what I'm looking for. Somebody who's faithful even when nobody's looking. Somebody who's faithful when no one's looking. The church does a poor job of believing that God actually sees you and will promote you. We, we learn from the world you gotta network your way. Because we don't really trust that God actually sees us and rewards faithfulness. Do you know he does? The Bible says if you're faithful to small things, it'll make you ruler over great things. The, the idea is you have to be faithful over small things for a great period of time and all of a sudden the door opens and you walk into the destiny that God has for you because he's been watching you the whole time. The problem is that sometimes we don't really believe that he is watching. We don't really believe that he cares. We really doubt whether he will honor his word or not. And a lot of times, you know why that is? It's because we don't really honor our own word. People tend to look at other people in other situations and project their character and personality into that situation. People that are always telling stories and that type of thing, and, and people that are always judging people, they just assume that you're that way because that's how they are. Are you hearing me? Our, our lack of character, sometimes we project that on God and we think, you know, I, I don't know if I can really trust him. And, and then what we call, what we, we, we make it seem like it's a good thing to be proactive and ambitious. 
We make it seem like that's a good thing in our culture. Like the more proactive and ambitious you are and the more you try to make your way and all the rest, the better it is for you and you know you're, you're, you're looking all suave and you're making it happen for yourself and you're moving forward and this and that. And then we look, tend to look at things like fasting and prayer and being on your face and, and, and falling in love with smallness and time as those things are bad, are bad things. And th- those won't really help you make your way in God. Do you know, we need to fall in love with smallness and time. My first pastor in New York told me that, and it was the reason, really, that I stayed here for 15 years doing whatever you asked me to do. Because he told me, you fall in love with smallness and time. You be faithful with another man's vision. God will give you a vision of your own. And you know, as I tried to serve you over the years, I've had faithful people that have come around me. And I, I believe, you know, listen, I don't say this arrogantly, but I believe I'm reaping what I sowed. I believe that trying to be faithful to you, I wasn't always perfect. <laughs> there were times, times he had to rebuke me. And by the way, you know, there were a couple times during the year that I had to come to him and tell him, listen, pastor, I love you. I think you're off in this area. You know what he said to me? Thank you. Hard not to respect that. Isn't that a great example? Thank you. A righteous man loves a rebuke, Amen. Man, I've been praying about my eyes, and they're actually better without the glasses. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So, the dangers of this false ethos, watch us now, are a form of godliness, but denying the power. So David gets anointed, thus says the Lord, you're the king, and then David has to go through stuff that Saul didn't. Smallness in time. See, at first, he goes, he kills Goliath. Everything's going wonderful for him. And, you know, he's like, and he's given the, uh, Saul's daughter, he's given favor with the king, and he's like, this is the prophecy, it's coming true. Yeah. It's happening right before my eyes. God is opening up the door for me. Who's the man, David? Right? And then all of a sudden, Saul changes everything. Wants to kill him. You know, his own father did not see the gift of God in him and the character in him, didn't even bother to bring him in. So now he's thinking, Saul, the surrogate father, sees all this greatness and he's feeling all good, that needs getting met, and then all of a sudden Saul turns on him. His wife is given another man. He's running around in the wilderness for years and years and years. The Philistines are trying to kill him. The Israelites are trying to kill him. He has one of the worst days of his entire life when he gets back to the camp and finds out all the children and all the wives of the very few men that were faithful to follow them have all been stolen and carried away captive. And the men that have been with him through everything, these mighty men, the ones that stayed with him when no one else said, they talked about stoning him. This is so amazing. This very night... The Bible said that David went before the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord. This very night, Saul went to a soothsayer, a seer. Same night, trying to seek direction through the demonic. Their lives are presented as parallels so that you would realize which way that you should go, which way that we should go, both individually and corporately. And so Saul, who was concerned with image, is contrasted with David, who is concerned with presence. You all know the story when David sinned, and it was a, it was a bad sin. You know what I mean? He, he, he lay with another man's wife, and then basically killed her husband. You could argue that was a lot worse, in our eyes, than leaving the king alive, which Saul did. But when David found out he sinned, he got alone with God, and he wrote Psalm, one, Psalm 51. You know, don't take your presence 
from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. Look at the difference in response between David and Saul. Saul is, yeah, 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 I sin, yet honor me. David is, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me. And David could care less about what anybody thought about that entire experience. He was concerned more with presence than reputation. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? We are concerned, typically, we are so insecure, we're more concerned with reputation than presence. If the reputation is good, we'll work on the presence. We'll be okay, but as long as the presentation is good, we'll work on the presence. But the reputation, the image, and the presentation is more important than presence. David said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God's proclaiming today all over this nation and others too that he'll deliver us from the spirit of Saul and give us a heart like David. I picture David as a young boy out there worshiping God. I'm like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be real. Do you know, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to look perfect, talk perfect, be perfect. I remember my first church. I learned a lot of great things there, but they tried to change me into somebody else a little bit. They're like, you need to get one of these suits and get a little puff right here. (laughs) Talk differently. Present yourself just right. You know, you start thinking, okay, this is, this is how I got to be. I got to be this person. I got to be that person, you know, and, and, uh, and what you need to be is you, who God created you to be. Because who God created you to be is who God wanted you to be. And we spent a lifetime trying to hide that person because the world and the devil works really hard to try to convince us that that person's no good. How often you get with people and you, you go to pray for them and you say, you've been meditating over and over saying that you're not worthy. The devil's been saying to you, you're not worthy, you don't count. You, you look at people that we look at and think, man, that person has is, is got it all together and, and, and they're all insecure. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they'll tell you, yeah, I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm all upset. I feel bad about myself. I feel like I'm stupid. I feel like I'm ugly. I feel like I'm no good at this. I can't hear God. All the rest. And, you know, and no one even thinks that. Think about how many times the Holy Spirit's calling you to an altar, and, you're like, and the, this voice comes and goes, what are people going to think if I get up there and repent of that sin and this and that? And the truth is everybody's thinking, man, I wish I had enough courage to go up there pray, without, praise God. You know, nobody looks at them and goes, oh, that sinner, look at they're up there repenting. But we immediately run all our stuff through this lens of insecurity. You with me? Listen, it will cripple you from ever doing what God wants you to do if you have a fear of man. Behind the whole representation and presentation and image, behind that all is a fear of man. That's what that all is, is I'm afraid that I'll be rejected if I am who I really am. And you know what happens? That fear of man, the Bible says it's a snare. You know what a snare is? It's a trap. So if you get trapped, that means you can't move because you're trapped. And then we spin our wheels in in our Christian walk with God for years and years and years. And then you know what ends up happening? 
often we can grow a hard heart because we feel like God is not doing what he's supposed to do. And God's like, look, when I said make me first, seek first the kingdom of God, I was dead serious about it. And you have to seek first the kingdom of God. You have to, you, you, God, give me the grace to seek first the kingdom of God and then let the chips fall where they may and realize that people are not gonna like you. People are gonna persecute you. You know, but you listen, you cannot live to try to please people and you can never really effectively to minister to people if your whole goal is to get them to like you because you'll never tell them the truth. Do you know, uh, and, and I know we're gonna run out of time here, but do you know for years and years, I had, uh, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and were like, I just wanted to tell you that when I first met you, I just really didn't like you at all. <laughs> I mean, I lost count of how many people told me this. It's really funny that I can joke about it now because it was like a real source of pain for a good point in my life. And they would tell me this and I would be like, oh yeah, you know, and then go home and be like, why don't people like me? I tried so hard, I feel so bad, you know? And I'd go through this whole process. Uh, it's really funny now. And uh, you know, and you realize uh, that what happens is, is God takes you through a process where you become immune to whether people like you or not. Listen, I, this is my home church. I want you to know something. I absolutely I love you with an unfailing love. I could care less what you think. <laughs> I hope that doesn't offend you, but I'm just being dead. I tell, my own church, I'm pastor, and I tell them that often. I love you, but I don't care whether you like me or not. <laughs> you, 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 you understand? You cannot go through life, and that is your goal, is, is that the world would look at you and think that you've arrived. I see some of these big name ministers and stuff going on these specials on TV. Is that the goal that the world would look at us and think that we're successful? That's a, hey, I want the people to honor me. I'm more concerned about what the people think about me than presence. Because if you're going to go after God, you're going to be unpopular. But here's what happens, and you all know this is true. In a crisis, people come to you because they know that you're real. Your family calls you. They make fun of you. They mock you. They talk behind your back. They question your faith all the time. It even gets annoying to you, all the rest. But then something happens to their kid and they call you. They're like, please pray because they believe that you actually have a connection with God because they know your faith is real. That's why they're always trying to get you to compromise because if you compromise and they feel better, like, Phew, geez, that was, uh, you know, I, I thought that person was for real. I guess I'm okay. People tend to think that if we all sin together, God won't judge us all. They really, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, man, hell, hey, you're going to be there, I'm going to be there, it'll be one big party, you know, and all the rest, thinking, oh, God won't do that, and the Bible says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience, and the Bible said, as narrow is the way that leads to life, and fewer are they that find it, so you have to make a decision right now, if I'm, you're going to run a narrow path, you're going to lay down the sin, lay down the weights, you, you know, you're going to walk differently than the world walks, then you're going to have to deal with the fact that people are sometimes not going to get you, not, un, not going to understand you, not going to appreciate all your gifts, your talents, your hard work, all the rest. You just have to recognize your goal is not to impress people. Here's, listen to me, I have an assignment for you and then I'm going to finish, okay? Your, your goal is to lead people to Jesus and disciple them so they grow closer to him and to please God. So you please God in your own walk and you lead people to Jesus and you try to disciple them so that they can get closer to him. It's not even, believe it or not, to grow this church or grow a church. 
numerically. Praise God if that happens. But that's not the goal. Is is that, hey, would you be in church on Sunday? I need to see you three out of uh, four weeks instead of two out of four weeks. The goal is, is that the people actually are growing in their relationship with Jesus because we can't do anything to help you except for pointing you to the one that can. But he can and is fully able to change your life, change your eternity, change your entire existence and use your life put on display to affect the lives of other people. Isn't that awesome? And so that is the goal. So you're like, look, I'm the only one that I'm trying to please is God. And then when it comes to your fellow man, you are loving on him, loving on her with the goal of leading them closer to Jesus and then you getting out of the way. Think John the Baptist, best man. You can't try to court the bride to you. The bride's gonna be disappointed. You need to step away and court the bride to Jesus. You need to, point, you need to please him and you need to bring the bride to Jesus and say, praise God, I must decrease, he must increase. Can you say amen? And if you live that way, here's the, the irony is this, the whole goal of trying to be uh, you know, uh, received by the world just leaves you feeling empty, but this experience of just you know, trying to please God in, in a nominity, did I say that right? And, and, you know, and, and that you're just, your only goal is to please him and you don't care what people think, you end up in the most content place that you could ever possibly imagine because that's what you were created to do was just to worship him, just to have relationship with him. It was never that the world, that you would try to court the world to yourself, but that it was you would point the world towards him. Can you say amen? Praise God. Pastor Mike, thank you guys. Love you guys.